0: You know it's a good day, isn't it? It's a Sunday. This is the place where God meets you where you're at. You know, normally I read the scriptures for you. And I realize that some of you have the NIV, some have the ESV, some has the NASB, some have the King James, some of you have your Greek New Testament. And others of you are just trying to find it on your iPhone. (laughs) And so today, I want to do something just a little different. We thought we had all the same Pew Bibles, so we're going to find out today. I want you to grab the Pew Bible, not your Bible, just for a second. And turn to page 834. 834. And instead of me reading the Scriptures, we're going to read the Scriptures together. You know, it talks about the public reading of God's Word, and we rarely do that as a congregation. So we're going to pick up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, and we'll use this Bible, the Pew Bible in front of you, so we're all reading the same thing. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word, and let's read it out loud together. It should say, Holy Bible... Okay, maybe 954 in your Bible, 834 in my Bible. So get to Colossians chapter 2, <laughs> verse 16, whatever page that might be. Whoever has a different page number, bring that up afterwards so I can see the difference in these Bibles. That now explains why so many of you say Pastor John needs remedial math because I kept giving you different pages. All right, let's read it together, starting in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize." Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grow as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Amen. You may be seated. You've been tempted to do it, I know. You've thought about it more than once. And in fact, there has been a time when you were coming up to a train track, you saw the train down the road, you were going to try to beat the arm coming down and get through that intersection. If you told your mother or father you would not be driving the family car again, but I know it's gone through your mind. The reason I know is that occasionally, back in the day, I thought I might do that, and then thought better of it. There is a reason why that arm comes down on the train, because it's a warning. It's a warning. Do not cross this, because a train is coming, and if you get caught on that track, life is over. It's not quite that dramatic this morning, but that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's got three red warning lights, a blinking light, an arm of a train track coming down saying, be careful, don't go there, don't cross there, and we'll see today that these warnings that Paul gives the Colossian church are actually rooted in three worldviews or philosophies that undergird some of the same thinking, and I would say bad thinking, that some of us have adopted here in our church and in the church beyond ABF. Now, some of you are very philosophical. Today, you might like this message. Some of you are going, oh, great, philosophy, worldviews, critical thinking. That's not my game. I think today, as we look at the text, you're going to find that this has so much relevance, you have no idea how you've been sucked into this. And the problem is often like how we view an iceberg. You see, the iceberg, we only see the tip of that iceberg, and there's a whole bunch of stuff underneath the waterline. Today, we're looking at the things that are beneath the waterline because, and get this, your belief will affect your behavior. How you think influences how you'll behave. So let's look at it together. So he's continuing this warning to Colossians and he first of all warns us danger sign number one, worldview that's false, doesn't help us, is the stiffness of legalism. And he says, be very careful, let no one judge you. Now let's just start because when we say somebody's legalistic, we may disagree about the definition. I'm gonna use a a guy whose name is Truman Dollar. His definition of legalism, it's very simple, it's on the screen. Legalism is reducing Christianity to a set of rules rather than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's a very simple way. It's all rules and no relationship. When you live that way, this is what happens. There's an overemphasis on the external instead of the internal. It's all about the head and not about your heart. It's about the ritual. It's not about the relationship. It's about doing instead of being. It's about the activity, not the attitude. It's about our performance instead of Jesus and in essence, it becomes about my sacrifice for God rather than his sacrifice for me. And you can see it's how subtle this continues to happen in my life and it becomes the end game of trying to work our way to please God. The gospel tells us that's a very simple formula. Do you love Jesus? Is Jesus the reason for your existence? It's not our performance it's his performance. It's not our obedience to him, although that's a part of the sanctification process. It's his obedience to the cross and what he did for us. You see, our acceptance with God isn't based on how successful we are at doing all the right things. Because oftentimes, for us, it's come down to this. Jesus plus and then you can fill in the blank equals favor with God. I want to I want to expose you to two books today to think about or pot- possibly read. One is called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And it's written by a guy named Tulian Tavidian. He's the grandson of Billy Graham. He pastors a church Get that book. If you're one who struggles with legalism about adding to your already crowded life with things that make you feel better about your relationship with God, I recommend that you read this. Now, the question is, as we look at the Pharisees, because those were the the famous legalists of the day, why would they do this? Why would they do this? And we often kind of ridicule them, saying, well, we're not very Pharisaical. We would never be like that. Let me tell you the bottom line. It's because these guys didn't want to be in the middle of the pack. In fact, they thought their worst nightmare was to be average or ordinary. That's why Paul, coming out of his pharisaical background in Philippians 3, he talks about all the things he did and he says all that stuff is rubbish compared to what? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, when you're a legalist, you assume that the harder you work and, and the more you work and the overcommitted that you are, that you're going to find favor with God because favor with God is equal with exhaustion and dedication. Now, you're saying, Pastor, isn't that supposed to be what you're supposed to do is motivate us to work for the kingdom and do all this good stuff? Aren't you kind of shooting yourself in the foot? Because if that's the case, I'm quitting the deacon board. I'm not going to be an elder. I'm done with the deaconesses. I'm just going to skate. In fact, I'll come to church about once a month, and I'm going to go to bedside Baptist most of the time. Actually, when we're a legalist and we add all this stuff that we've got to do to find favor with God, how does the average person in the pew, which is all of us, who are stragglers and strugglers and doubters, and not so strong, how do we feel coming every week? We feel like losers. Like, every else has got it together. I just must be messed up. And so what happens is we, we begin to work towards these things. And In fact, in, we, we become very self-righteous because look at us. Look what we've done if we're on this other side. In fact, the litmus test today, and I'm not taking on any book writer, but if you're well-read, you'll recognize some titles. The litmus today is whether we're radical or where we're crazy or we're missional or we're gospel-centered or we're revolutionary or my favorite one, or we're organic. Now, I, I want to be organic because my wife's making me eat organic. But I got to tell you, I like those chocolate chip cookies you made yesterday and they had sugar in them. And so the bottom line is this high commitment, high volume Christianity, I was talking to a friend who wrote a book called Accidental Pharisees. His name is Larry Osborne and he pastors a church down in Vista and he says, people ask me whether I'm all these things as a church, all the things I just led in. He says, never once do people ask me, do I love Jesus now, I realize it's easy to get on a hobby horse and, and really push our, our agenda, but the bottom line is, you know, if I say all the right things to you, then I can have the secret handshake. And if I don't say the right things to the right people at the right time, then I know what happens. Oh, we are gonna pray for Pastor John. He is misguided. Poor boy. He'll figure it out someday. You know, and we subtly judge each other the same way if we don't exactly do it the way you do it how about verse 16 it talks about this description of legalism and what does he say to you he says don't let anybody judge you don't let anybody judge you especially evaluating your spiritual life on certain activities that you're involved in now i realize for some of you you are born to be slackers no one will admit to that, but some of you say, hey, I just wanna cruise. I kinda like it when there's nothing expected of me. So clearly there's a balance here. But this idea that what's happening is these false teachers were telling the Colossian church that they had to, to curtail their freedom because they, they wanted control, because it was ultimately about control. Legalists are always about controlling, and in fact, their well-reasoned biblical opinion, they wanna make your moral imperative. I'm always glad to have someone come say, Pastor, I think we should be doing this in our church. And I go, I agree. What do you wanna do to accomplish that? Oh, I don't wanna do it, I just think you should do it. (laughs) Okay then, let's agree that if you have a ministry idea from God, my goal is to help you birth that, that dream and let it happen. Let's agree that the goal isn't to birth that dream and lay it on my doorstep. Now, there may be something that I'm burdened about. For instance, I'm pretty burdened about Mexico, and I'm pretty thrilled to, you know, this isn't just a youth ministry thing. I want to go with John, and we're going to go to Mexico. That doesn't mean that everyone has to go, and here's what my guarantee to you is. I don't go to Mexico, and if you're not going, I'm going to go. (sighs) If you're really godly, you would give up, those four days after Christmas. Take the Xbox back, spend the money on those orphans in Mexico. Someday you'll see that sacrifice sacrifice is more important than presents at Christmas. Now of course I wouldn't do that, but do you ever feel that subtle rub that you're just not measuring up? I'll tell you who feels like they're not measuring up are people who don't come to church. Because sometimes they've walked into somebody and they hit a buzzsaw going, hmm, not going to that church again. Because it's all about, did I put something in the offering plate? Did I go to Bible study enough? Did I have long enough prayer times? Etc., etc. Now you say, how did it illustrate itself back then and how has it happened today? Well, for them back there, two of the kind of legalistic things that they were is about food. And he illustrates it about the food uh, by someone's diet. And the, you know the whole idea. That they, they weren't sure that you should eat any meat that had been offered up to idols, and you know, so they became vegetarians. Well, not exactly. The bottom line is we find all kinds of food restrictions that people kind of add to the gospel. If you grew up Catholic, raise your hand. Anybody grow up Catholic? Were there any dietary things you had to give up on Fridays? What was it? Meat. Meat. No double-doubles with grilled onions and fries on Fridays for Catholics? I'm becoming a Baptist for sure. That's the red meat religion, all right? That's why we have potlucks and things. Um, how about if, if you grew up Jewish? Did you have to keep a kosher kitchen? Or you can't mix dairy with meat? I was in Israel, and uh, boy, on Sabbath, you're not gonna do that. In fact, you're not even gonna go in an elevator without it opening and closing at every single floor. You see, the, the Pharisees had honed this to a fine sense, but it wasn't because they were bad guys. They were good guys who thought good was good, so being better was even the best. And maybe you've kind of bought into that as well or through the festivals, and you know, the bottom line is we won't get into all those festivals, but the Sabbath was the big one if you were Jewish, right? And so somehow we've translated that maybe we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. Let me, get, let me just clarify you that the Sabbath happened from when to when, Friday at 6 p.m. to Saturday at 6 p.m., Sunday is a different day, but we have whole denominations sent around whether you keep the Sabbath, and so they, oh, you're not really worshiping if you don't worship on Saturday. Some would argue, yeah, but where does the Bible say that we shouldn't worship on Saturday? Where, the Sabbath, uh, where was the Sabbath eliminated? Well, let me ask you, where is the command in the New Testament to worship on Saturday? There is no commandment to, quote, keep the Sabbath. Some of you come from a Seventh-day Adventist background, and that was your experience. So we now worship on Sunday, and here's, quite frankly, there are churches who worship on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. The idea is, are you worshiping with God's people? So what are the dangers of legalism? I want to suggest three things. And some of you might relate to feeling judged by the church lady here. Is that up there? There we go. Some of you may feel a little judged by this. You see, oftentimes legalism promotes judgmentalism. So how do we judge each other, okay? We're not really into like the Sabbath, I mean the Sabbath and the dietary laws. Here's how we can subtly judge each other. Hmm, haven't seen you for several weeks. A little sporadic in your attendance at church, huh? How about being critical of people? Hey, they don't really know how to pray or they don't pray enough. How can we come to pray but nobody prays? I wonder what's wrong with them. Sidebar. Do you realize there's actually people in our church who are awesomely godly that are so timid, and it's okay. They're private people. You might call them introverts, and they're praying their hearts out, but, but we can't judge them just because they don't open their mouths in front of you. I had a, a former elder a friend of mine tell me that Say, I know my wife never prays, but you know, she prays for you every day. Every day. But she's just super, super kind of nervous about praying out loud. And if I hadn't heard that, I might have kind of gone, hmm, what's up with that? How come she never prays? Now that's a little thing. Um, How about the idea that we just assume the worst about someone instead of believing the best? There's gossip that goes out. You see, we can be very legalistic in our opinions and we don't take the time to check it out. How about this? Some of us, you grew up in an era that tattoos meant the guy was tattooed and on his way to hell. Now you go, I got tattoos. Now you say, well, there's only certain kinds that you can have. It says Jesus, then it's okay. (laughs) If it has Roberta, it's about a bad breakup, I'm sure. And so we, we judge people by their tattoos. I'm pretty sure that if I took off, if you saw what was on my back, you'd go, oh, no, I don't have a tattoo. I just thought I'd mess with you. <laughs> but what if I had full sleeves? What if I had, like, gauges? What if I had the piercing? You see, I first realized that maybe earrings and some of that stuff isn't as big a deal as I thought it was. His name was Ryan. He wanted to date my daughter, he had one here, 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 and here. I said, that's a lot of like bling. And, and I, I, I did silver, tin, I don't know what it was. But it, it wasn't really my style. But I can tell you, he loved Jesus. And then my wife said something that was really important. He loves Jesus. Let's just see how this plays out. Well, he eventually proposes to her, as you know, and he's my son-in-law. You know what changed all those things? I didn't, actually, as I got to know them, I thought they were pretty cool. I thought about it, but I hate pain, so I'm not going there. <laughs> but he got a job out of college that says you can't have any of that stuff. And they all came out. Now, I, I love him as my son-in-law. I love him as my, my daughter's husband. He's part of our family. But he taught me a lesson because there were untattooed, unpierced other guys that were in her life previous to Ryan, and they were hypocritical. They said all the right things. I'll date myself for those of you like, leave it to beaver, Um, Eddie Haskell types for those over 50. (laughs) They're going, Eddie who? Just ask your folks. Um, And it was, hello, Mrs. Claver. It would be more like, hello, Mrs. Irwin. And I'd, like, get a gun, shoot the kid, get him out of (laughs) here. And so we judge people by their appearance, but we ignore the gossip and the slander, or the discontent or the bitterness. You see, kind of in the old legalism, you know, I'm dating myself. You were kind of judged by what was in your refrigerator. You know, did you have a six-pack? You know, and and were you a drinker? Were you a smoker? Now, how we judge people is what's in your garage. What are you driving? Ooh, that's kind of nice for a pastor. Really? That 1992 Honda Civic with no wheels up on blocks? Yeah, that's my... You know, we judge people even when we don't want to judge people. Number two, legalism presses for uniformity. We all got to be in the right uniform. Look at these kids. They look cute. They're toeing the line. We, We have to... We have to be uniform. Now, the church, we need to be in unity, but we don't have to be in uniformity. Just take a look at each other for right now. This is actually a good exercise. Just pause. Don't look at me. Just kind of look around at who's in this crowd. All right? Size everybody up just for a second. Just look around. We got people with hair and people who want to have hair, (laughs) we got people with cool hair. And then we got people like, you know, mine's too long. I got I to gotta whack this off. We got people with facial hair. We got people saying, I don't want that facial hair. And ladies, there is electrolysis. <laughs> oh, I know. That was bad. I, I'm dead. I'm really dead. That's what happens when you don't stick with the script here. So there's all kinds of things. What if we had to all dress the same way? If we all dress the same way, you'd be Amish, right? And, they, and we all have to look a certain way. Um, or we have to talk the same way. Then we'd have that spiritual jargon. Have you seen it in certain prayer means? How many times does someone say the word Father God uh, like 93 times in a 100-word in a, in a, you know, prayer? And we judge people because of how they pray or they don't pray. Or this one we just came out of, how about their politics? Red states, blue states, Republicans, Democrats, Obama, Romney, you know, do we judge people because of of those things? You see, the bottom line is, maybe there are differences of opinions. For our kids growing up, for us, there was three. They all begin with H. First was Harry Potter, What am I going to do about Harry Potter? Everybody on the travel baseball team was reading Harry Potter. Do I let my kids read Harry Potter or not? We had a choice to make. By the way, I'm not telling you what I did. I'm just telling you (laughs) what our choices were, all right? How about Halloween? Oh, they're so cute, those little trick-or-treaters. Or that's a demonic holiday possessed by Satan poisoning people's minds and addicting them to sugar. Or how about this one? Would I homeschool or not? Public school, private school. Just for the record, I'm not smart enough to homeschool, and I respect all of you who can. Because I'm pretty sure not only I'm smart enough, but I'm probably not patient enough, and probably my kids would be dead now if I was their teacher. So I I just want to, I want to, I want to just admit that right up front. Thirdly, legalism produces a surface faith. Versus a substantive faith. You see, really, legalism is about the shadow, not the substance. A shadow isn't the real thing. It has no reality. Jesus Christ is the reality to which the shadow's pointed. For instance, this earth is only a shadow of of what heaven will be like. So if you think life is good here, you can't gonna believe what it's like when you get to heaven. And when I have difficult times, it reminds me that this earth is not my home. When Chad and I and some others were over at the Champs on Wednesday night praying every pastor has been that place where you're praying for someone that the Lord would take him home and not suffer and there were tears and we sang and we read scripture and we laid hands on him and we prayed over him but we knew ultimately that that wasn't really the John that you had come to know and love. It was just a shadow of the former man. And then ultimately his glory would be in heaven, not on this earth. And so when Christ came, he said, "Hey, the, the law is no longer binding. The law never was in, intended for us to live up to it. The law was intended to tell us we can never live up to it. It was our tutor that said, "You." need a savior and I just want to remind you I don't know how long some of you have known the Lord or if you're just baby Christians but if you're saved by grace then you live by grace and all the stuff you pile on your life feeling bad about the past God has forgiven does that mean that there isn't consequences yeah there are consequences let me tell you something and, and I know they know this, they're smart people, but I can tell you this. You get pregnant, ladies, out of wedlock, at your age, it's going to change your life in ways you have no idea. You say, Why do you pick on the girls? All right, let me pick on the guys. Guys, you get a girl pregnant, it's going to change your life in ways that will alter it forever. There are consequences. Some of you, for instance, have had an abortion, and you carry away this guilt. You wanna take it back. You've asked God to forgive you, but somehow you can't escape the reality. It's always looming Back here. You know, there are things in my life that I regret. There are do overs that I wish I could just, oh Lord, give me a second chance. And there isn't. And the only thing that I can cling to at times is thank goodness God. Shows me grace and mercy. You see, we just beat ourselves up about our past as if we haven't been well aware of it. And then a well-intended friend brings something up and they didn't mean it to hurt your feelings and they something that reminds you of that failure. And then you go off on them and you go, why did I do that? Because I was reliving the past and I took it out on them. You see, the bottom line is, with the legalists, what happened? Well, I think it has to do with fences, and I want to explain this concept to you. See, God gave us a biblical command, and he put a fence around it, saying, hey, stay out of here. But the, what the legalist does is, hey, if he put a fence around here, we don't want to go anywhere near this cliff, so we're going to build a bigger fence around it so we can't even close to the first fence that God intended. Let me illustrate that for you. God says, don't get drunk don't get drunk put a fence around it so we as christians put a big circle around and say yeah you can't even drink now this isn't a statement about alcohol i don't really personally drink so it doesn't matter to me that's not a big deal to me but some people make a big deal about that or how about this god says don't have sex outside of marriage the word is fornication if you're married it's called adultery don't have sex before marriage. Then we put another fence around. That fence says, hey, that means you can't dance. How do we go from don't have sex? <laughs> how do we go from don't have sex to you can't dance? Now, let's just clarify. Some of you should not dance. <laughs> it is ugly. I can't even do it. I can't moonwalk. I can't do nothing. I have no rhythm. I should never dance. You know how crazy it is? Six years ago, My daughter's gonna get married. I just survey the church that I'm at. It's a Quaker church. Quakers are good folks, but they don't dance. Apparently on property they don't dance. I asked every elder, hey, where'd you guys do your wedding reception? Oh, Black Gold Country Club, or at this hotel. I go, why, well, and they didn't wanna say it, but it was either because they wanted to have a little alcohol at the wedding, or they wanted to dance. Or the bride was what? Or the bride wanted to dance with the father, yeah. And so I said, I wonder if dancing is prohibited in the scriptures. Now I know some of you are staunch Baptists, your hands are clenched, your palms are getting sweaty. You're thinking he's gonna change the dance policy here. <laughs> no, I'm just gonna tell you this story. So the bottom line is I started studying it and, and the wedding feast and all that, it was a big family celebration. So yes, indeed, six months before the wedding, I actually told the others, I'm doing this. I want to make sure you understand. There's no hidden motive. My goal is that you would vote yes on this and try it for a year. So I wrote a dance policy that allowed these certain deals. And I said, hey, here's one of the things. When I've done 150 weddings, when it goes south is when somebody's drinking. So we'll just say no alcohol. We're not a part, that's not a part of our deal, so we don't need that. So that'll eliminate this. The second thing that goes wrong with dancing is the DJ, because he picks the wrong song. And no matter how godly you are, the wrong song promotes these other behaviors. We'll just leave it at that. You know what I'm talking about. So we do that, and I said, and let's just try it for a year, you know, and it works. So my daughter's was the first one, and so imagine this. Now, it's a room because our facility didn't get finished in time. We actually have to do the reception in the actual church. You go, ah, oh, it's one thing to do it in the multi-purpose room, but you did it in the church, Yes, we did. We put a dance floor in the church along with 50 other tables, 400 people, 150 Biola kids. This is the best day of their lives. Yeah, we could dance. The pastor said it was okay. Yes. So we set it up and then there was a couple conversations. I said, Katie, Ryan, no pressure here, but your daddy's employed here at this church. You're the first one to ever do this. Don't mess it up, please. Because then every bride after you will forever be banned from having a dance. And then I met with the DJ. And I did this. I'm going to pick a DJ today. I need someone young with dark hair. Doug. So I went and talked to the DJ and I said, look it, I'm a pastor. I realize this shouldn't be a big deal. I'm pretty sure that uh, the YMCA will probably be okay, maybe even the chicken song, or I'm not sure about the Macarena. I don't know, if I know pretty sure that there are certain songs by Kanye that we cannot do. <laughs> Forget Madonna. And I just kind of went through this. I said, look, it, we can't do this. If those things happen, and, and um, these kids, I mean, there's no, if there's any kind of, you know, Patrick Swayze, Dirty dancing thing going on. Um, you know, b- the word is bumping and grinding. You know the whole thing. It's just, if any of that happens, I'm dead. And you say, Man, you're taking a long time to tell the story. Yeah, because that's how nervous I was because I had my own set of legalistic baggage. Because I, I had judged people in my past. Oh. And it was wonderful. If you see my computer, there's a picture of my daughter and I in that first dance. And it was sweet. And it was wholesome. And it honored the Lord. And there was nothing that was out of bounds. The funniest thing is, we did the wedding reception get this on top of our Saturday night service. And it was okay that people could go to church. In fact, it was so okay, some people thought, wow, they're serving refreshments after church day." We had six people come to our reception <laughs> who had nothing to do with the wedding, but the church was going on. They got, oh, they haven't tried, tip let's go. I say all this because we put fences around things because if God says this is good, we'll, we'll make it even better by making it even more careful. God says don't love money. Okay, there's the fence. Don't love money. Having money is not the issue. Don't love it. Don't be your sole pursuit. So then we add another fence. Well, apparently you love money if you drive a certain kind of car. You see, legalists always have really good intentions. They don't even see themselves as legalists. They don't even see that their extra-biblical rules are extra-biblical. In fact, they think they're so profoundly biblical that everybody should buy into their view of that position. And it's hard to argue with them because they always base their decisions the, on this logical extension of a biblical command or principle. They just add to it. And so in essence, we add to God's word it takes our desire to be scrupulously faithful to the Scripture and turns it into a subtle addition to the Scripture. So, what's the deception about legalism? Well, I think there are two forms of legalism the one that says, I can find freedom in the fullness of life if I keep all the rules. If you study the prodigal son, that's the older brother. And the law which says, I can find freedom in the fullness of Christ if I break all the rules. That's the younger brother. Either way, you're trying to save yourself. Either way, you're trying to do through your legalistic self-salvation projects this thing, whether it's license or legalism, it's the same batch. It's, It's not what God intended. You see, it's important because there's a lie about God's grace that Satan wants the church to buy into. And it's dangerous, and it needs to be kept in check And the perceived fear is that if we think too much and talk too much about grace and the radical freedom that that that, that grace brings, that we're gonna go off the deep end with this and we'll abuse it. And by believing that lie, we not only prove that we don't understand grace, but we violate the gospel. You see, the truth is disobedience happens not when we think too much of grace, but when we think too little of it. In short, we, we spend so much time thinking about ourselves and what we need to do and far little time thinking about what Jesus, what he's already done. And what I've discovered, when I focus so much on me and what I gotta do and how messed up I am, and certainly there's a sin component, I gotta confess that, I'm not saying that. But the bottom line is, when I get my eyes off of Jesus, and I start focusing on what he's doing instead of what I'm doing, somehow the Christian life makes more sense to me. I knew this was an ambitious morning, and I knew I was gonna spend a lot of time on legalism. And so I just wanna briefly tell you about the other two. The second warning was about mysticism. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Mysticism. And the focus on mysticism is very simple. It's this idea that there's this deeper, higher religious experience, and it's really based on experience and emotion rather than objective and observable external data. And so if we believe that I have to have these experiences to be right with God, and we kind of check our brains in the door, then we have a form of mysticism. And back then, they did it in various ways, and... Next week, we're gonna unpack mysticism and we'll spend some time talking about it. The third one was this whole idea of asceticism. And we'll take time to talk about how that ultimately played out. Denying yourself and all the crazy stuff. You say, why did they do this? Why did the monks uh, in in the dark ages live a certain way? And we'll look at how that worldview affected them. But today, the bottom line is this. Is that the legalists need the freedom of grace? The mystics needed Jesus, the substance, not the shadow. And the ascetics need to enjoy God, not just endure Him. And ultimately, when it comes down, is that all of us who are living with one of those three false worldviews ultimately have baggage. I want to show you a clip. Because the bottom line is, the ultimate issue with legalism is that you carry this weight of whatever on your back and you can't let go of it. In fact, we've, we have a, a form of self-penance even though we haven't, we're not in that faith tradition. We're trying to carry this and somehow God will forgive this. So as the lights dim, I want, I want you to read very carefully. It sets up the... the The clip, it's from the mission, and then I'll wrap it up. You see, ultimately, we're like that man who carried the baggage of his guilt, of his past. And as you look at his face, and you see the joy There's something unmistakable about the fact that when you experience God's forgiveness in your life, that it changes you. The people that he brutalized ultimately forgave him, and when they did, he could forgive himself. But how often do we need someone who would come alongside us to hold us and say it's going to be okay that says that thing that you've been beating yourself up with all these years God has cut loose that burden and his death on the cross paid for that the problem is we, we go and we pick it up and we put it back on our back he says you don't need to do that let go and some of us have lived life so long we don't know any difference than carrying this weight, even though God's forgiven it. You say, Well, what if I've messed up since I've been a Christian? I did something really bad. And whatever really bad is for you, you can define that. Yeah, God forgave that too. He forgave it. He says it's as far as the east is from the west. And never again do you have to carry it to pay penance for a sin that God died for 2,000 years ago on the cross. Folks, that's what grace is. He's cut it. He's left it. It's gone. And so today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as I pray, then you just thank him again, once again. Thank you, Lord, for that forgiveness. But if, in fact, you have never made that decision to put your life into God's hands, today is the day of redemption. This week, on Wednesday, a guy came into my office and found out that he had cancer. Doesn't go to our church. It was a referral. Nancy correctly said, hey, you gotta see this guy. There's something else going on here. In the course of the next 30 minutes, he went from death to life. And right there in my office, he prayed to receive Christ. That's what God can do for you today. From death to life, from guilt to grace, from your will to his will. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, first of all, we wanna be people of grace here at our church. We want to extend grace and mercy and be representatives and ambassadors of that kind of church. So when people who are far from God come with needs that we say, come on, I'll walk with you. We're all messed up together. Let's walk that journey. And then Lord, today, maybe there is someone who is a believer, but they've been, they've been hanging on to something that's been on their back and legalistically trying to find favor with you by being good and doing these things. And in their head, they know better, but in their heart, they can't seem to let go of that, that thing they did. And if you're in that place today, you know the Lord, but you've, you've got to let go of something today. Would you look at me? Just you and me. We're gonna say, God, take that thing. Okay, okay. Wait till I see your eyes. Anybody else? Okay. Okay, anybody else? Okay, okay. Nod your head at me if I can't see your eyes. Okay, okay, okay. All the way back there. Anywhere else? All right, Lord, you know what those things are. Take them. Take them off our back. You tell us. Your, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And then, lastly, maybe some of you today are saying, I like this idea of being a Christian, but I got no clue what that really involves. And today, you'd like to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray this prayer. It's a simple prayer. You pray silently along with me, and you too will do what Manuel did on Wednesday Heavenly Father, I need you. I am a sinner. I am separated from you. I cannot earn favor with you, but I accept Jesus Christ as my savior. Come in and take away the sin of my life. Forgive me for all I've done and all I will do. Bring me into your family, Lord. I want to be a child of the King. I want to have relationship with you. And though I don't know everything, I know this, I love you, Jesus. And I accept you as the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I'd love to talk to you. Put it on a comment card, email me, text me. Whatever it takes, let's talk about your next steps in faith. Jesus, Lord of all. Jesus, the lover of our soul. Jesus, the one who redeemed us. Jesus, who takes our life from the pit. Jesus, the name above all names. To you be the glory and honor, dominion and majesty now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. We'll see you on Saturday.